Hey guys, my name is Aaron McManus, and you are listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus, and I want to just talk about two different things. One, we have a new book. I say we, but really <laughs> my dad has a new book coming September 14th. We're starting something kind of around it. We're doing a docu-series that we'll release in the next coming months. I'm really excited about it. Go to thegeniusof.com. Go to it now. Sign up to get all of the first like information, all of the first links, all the connection points, everything that we're doing with the genius of thegeniusof.com. Go there now, okay? Second thing, we have a new place, a new home on YouTube. We've been a part of Mosaic, which we love. We both go to church at Mosaic. My dad is the founder and lead pastor of Mosaic. I've been uh, gifted to be a part of the team for a long time. We are now doing our own YouTube channel. It's our Battle Ready Podcast YouTube page. So go to our Instagram, go to the link tree, the link in the bio, and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Subscribe, send it to somebody, have them subscribe. If you can't find us, that's where we are. We are no longer wherever you're watching this. We're on a new home on YouTube, our own Battle Ready channel. Hopefully we'll throw up some behind the scenes stuff. It'll be exciting. Subscribe to it. We had some interesting things happen this week. We did. It's been uh, quite a contrast of uh, experiences. Quite a contrast. And so I don't know what you mean by that. What's a contrast of experiences? Well, we have the NBA playoffs yes. happening, which, of course, we're pretty excited about. We had the Warriors-Lakers game. And then w- this is a couple of things. We also had, who, 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 what's his name? Stephen A. Smith. But what's the other guy's name? His, oh, Max Kellerman. The Robin to his Batman. Max Kellerman. I was listening to Max Kellerman this week. Max Kellerman. I love Max. Max Kellerman is garbage. No, he's garbage. Not. I love Max Kellerman. I love Max Kellerman too until this week. Well, until he has this been really, week. really hating on the on the Clippers. And he he's hates throwing a lot of a lot he, of shade that way. Just Max Kellerman is Robin to to Stephen A. Smith's Batman. But I think Stephen A. Smith has been really. The, how many times Robin dies just, in Batman movies? Robin dies in Batman movies, right? He ain't going to make it. Yeah, but Stephen A. Smith has been pretty negative about the Clippers, too. But I don't listen to Stephen A. Smith. But I do. I listen because to him Because I've already written him off because he hates the Clippers <laughs> so much. But Max was saying basically that the Clippers avoided the Lakers in the first round because they're afraid to play the Clippers. Sorry, the Clippers are afraid to play the Lakers. The reason is because the Clippers lost their last two games to pretty terrible teams. So he, they were saying, Max was saying this, Stephen A. was saying this, that Clippers threw the first, the last two games of the season so they didn't have to play the Lakers and they would be put but in ironically, the brackets. But ironically, if the Lakers had done that, they would have said LeBron was a genius and that he knows how to play the game and how Absolutely. to manipulate the system. But here, this is why I'm saying Max Kellerman's trash. And I don't mean him as a human being. I just mean his opinion. This take. This no, the last three takes. He's talked about the last <laughs> this whole week. He's talked about it. He said this that the Clippers were avoiding the Lakers, and as we watched the Warriors and Lakers game, we know we know now what Max didn't know then that the refs are so biased in L.A. that they favor the Lakers over anyone, and, over in everyone, and definitely there's a anti-Clipper bias with refs. Absolutely, and an incredibly think, pro-Laker bias. So when those two teams are in the same, Tyrone Lue knows this. It's the so coach. disproportionate. Yeah. The team knows this. Jerry West <laughs> knows this. Jerry West knows this. Jerry West used to be a part of the Lakers organization. Mm-hmm. Jeannie Buss left him off of her top five, top ten list. How can there be a top five for the Lakers without Jerry He's West? He's the logo. He is literally the logo of the NBA. It, 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 I don't, I, there must be something personal going but on But you know, there. I'm going to compare this to something in life because I think in life we all mature, we all grow, we all evolve. He started with the Lakers and then he became a great man and went to the Warriors. <laughs> and then he's become well, he also went to gra- the Thunder. Didn't he go to the Thunder? No, was it? No, the Grizzlies. I think he went to the Grizzlies. No, I don't know. If you don't know, I don't know. Okay. And then now he's at the Clippers, yeah. helping the Clippers organization become excellent. He's now... He's now become a Clipper fan, and I don't think that that Genie Bus can handle it. Could handle it very well. Yeah, well, I, I just don't know anyone who can hate on Jerry West. I don't know anyone who can hate on Jerry. What West. an iconic! It's human a thing. sin. It's despicable. <laughs> so here's the deal. All right, so Max the and Clippers knew. We disagree with you. One, I don't think the the Clippers were avoiding the Lakers. I think the Clippers 
uh, didn't care if they were three or four because it wasn't going to change uh, their path very much. They're going to rest Kawhi. They're going to rest Paul George. They're going to rest you know, their talent and let the younger yeah, guys they, get experience. There were guys on the court I never even knew were on the team. <laughs> I, you know what? Me too. <laughs> they were throwing those games pretty badly. But they almost won both of them, which was kind of also funny as well. Here, here's where here's my here's my thing. I don't think they were avoiding the Lakers. I do think they were wise because they knew that an LA LA show off face off was going to be so favored to the Lakers they weren't going to have a chance. Mm-hmm. Right? They also I don't think they want to play the Suns or the or the Blazers. They'd rather play Utah Jazz and, and the Mavericks and the Mavericks. Absolutely, I would too. Luka Doncic is going to get thrown out of every game because he can't stop running his mouth. I mean, the, 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 the reality is that eventually you're going to have to face the Brooklyn Nets. Eventually. So you're going to have the to super beat the team. best team in the NBA. The, the Brooklyn Nets are kind of like Justice League, the first movie. <laughs> what was his name? Josh Whedon, the one he, one he directed. Like, like you know that they sh- the characters should be good, but it's really bad to watch. <laughs> Ooh. It's, re- like, it's really bad to watch. It's really bad to watch. <laughs> I love Kyrie, KD, James Harden. I love all of them. That is mm-hmm. one hot mess of a franchise over there. <laughs> they need Zach to go in and fix it. NBA, uh, it's not the playoffs. It's the play-in, but it's not the regular season. But is it now the playoffs? Is, is that sort of like where you're dating someone, but you're not really dating them, but you're hanging out all the time? It's the play-in. Here's the other thing. <laughs> you know, this is like... <laughs> also why I hate why I don't hate Max. I actually do love Max Kellerman. He's really fun and enjoyable. But this is what I also disagree, because LeBron comes out. He says, I hate the play-in system. This is the, whoever decided this should be fired. This doesn't make any sense. And if you don't know what this is, play-in essentially, it's like the two, the, the, the bottom four teams in both conferences. Have so a playoff. Seven, eight, nine, ten yeah. places have a playoff. The seven and eight play, the nine and ten play, yeah. which is also weird. But then, no, whoever loses the seven and eight plays the winner of nine and ten. So seven eight gets two chances to get into the playoffs. Oh. So it is an advantage for seven so eight. So is there a second play-in game? Yes. Yeah, so the Warriors are now going to play the Grizzlies to see who gets the eighth seat. So the Warriors could still make the playoffs. That's right. Is that that's, real? That's real. That's real. Austin yeah. throws his thumb up. That's real. It's amazing. I, I love that. <laughs> Are you and just cringing in there, I get, Kevin? I get to watch Steph Curry play one more time at least. You know what? And if you're, if you're such a gift. Such a gift. And if you're one of Kevin Pena's friends and you're thinking that I hate the Lakers, I do hate the Lakers. <laughs> I do. I wanted to like them. I wish I could like them. I have a Lakers hat. And you know, R.I.P. Kobe, who was one of the greatest players that ever lived. I'm never going to speak a bad thing on that man's name. But they're just fun to hate. Kobe <laughs> made them fun to hate. Well, it, it's not the Lakers – it's the Laker fans. It is the Laker fans. <laughs> it is Kevin and all his friends who are my friends too that I love. And that, 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 that when when they're bad, they're irrational. And uh, and irrational. when they, when they lose, they, they always throw someone under the bus that's on their team. They're disloyal. Lakers, <laughs> Lakers. They know too. Ask they, Paul Gasol. They, who they the Laker sacrificed. Fans are. <laughs> who did they sacrifice? Who was the? Play- oh, they sacrificed. Um, he was on the Toronto Raptors. Three-point shooter. What's his name? Danny Green. Danny Green. Poor Danny. I love Danny Green. He's had a great career. He's had a he great career. He also went to University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He's a Tar Heel just like I am. He did. So we're always going to love him. He Danny. had a bad year on the Lakers, and yeah. those guys ate him alive. They, they have to pick someone. They picked they, Paul, Paul Gasol. They, they picked did. Danny Green. They, <laughs> they, did, you know, they picked Lamar Odom. Oh, and... But it's it was never you know they picked Lonzo Ball yeah 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 they got rid of Shaq they got rid of Shaq when they had they had a chance to win six in a row every <laughs> every uh, year the Lakers sacrifice somebody to the to the basketball deities <laughs> throw them in the a, volcano <laughs> throw them into the volcano please give us another Kobe please give but another and, magic and then I just had to laugh because um, I I. I could, uh, I could see, I was seeing three, so I just sh- shot for the middle one. I just think that's kind of funny. So <laughs> basically, <But> anyway. <laughs> the, the semantics of the game, LeBron on a foul from Draymond Green, which I do, I, this is what I think. They were saying it should have been a flagrant one or a flagrant two, he should have gotten kicked out. It wasn't even a flagrant one, right? It was no. just a foul. Common foul. Common foul. I do think it was a little aggressive because we know Draymond hates LeBron. So there is some bad blood there. There was intent. 
There was malintent. I, I agree it probably should have been a flagrant one. I'm glad they didn't call it because I think it helps LeBron. It helps no, no, no. Draymond. No. What? Slapping someone in the head is a flagrant foul. Poking their he, eye is he, just a common foul. But he, he look, go. He, his body went straight up, but his yeah. arms went out, and that that to right. me but is. It seemed to me he was trying to block his field division. Yeah, but if you hit him, that's the problem. That's the issue. And it was a foul, right? And I get where I get I get where it's teetering the flagrant one, the the common foul situation. But but my thing is, but this. what about when LeBron absolutely just trucks into uh, the layup and doesn't get called for a foul at all. Doesn't get called for a foul at all. Doesn't even touch the ball, just collides into the body. I want to know if Jeannie Buss owns a hotel in Cabo where the refs (laughs) stay at after this series. That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. All right, wait a minute. I think we're digressing. Are we digressing? <laughs> are we gonna are, are we gonna pull any principle out of this? Well, I can't get fined by the NBA. No, no principles at all. If you've made it this far, ten minutes in, we are very grateful. Let's go into some real stuff. Yeah. The one thing I do love about sports is that they're a great distraction from the heavy and serious problems of life. And yes. And um, strangely grateful for those few moments of reprieve in life. Yes. Um, but there, what you you um, you've got a lot of feedback. Your yes. legs are so far; they're on my side. <laughs> my legs are tucked underneath my chair. I can feel your t- your toes right now. <laughs> all right, all right, and uh, <laughs> let's let's move on. All right, what other important things are we going to talk about? Well, we have something you really want to get to. So should we tease it now, talk about other things, and then go back to it? Well, I thought we probably should just do a short follow-up on some of the response we got from last week's podcast yes. on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Yes. And um, Future of humanity. The fight we, for humanity. It, I mean, o- overwhelmingly, the, the comments have been incredibly positive. And very people have been positive. really grateful for what they considered to be a very humane and balanced conversation. We, we've uh, had a few negative... Did we get any negative? We, I think we had one. I didn't um, see it. I think you saw it. I, I saw it. it. It began real positive. It ended real positive. The middle was pretty much I don't have any courage and, uh, and or integrity right. in the middle because I, I acknowledged any value for the Israelites and uh, or for the nation of Israel. It was a very pro-Palestinian. Pro-Palestine. And I would have been upset except that I felt like this person's writing out of pain. Yeah. And... Um, and, and and it's interesting thing when you you know when you when you hear responses from one side if a person's completely one-sided there'll never be a, a real engagement or acknowledgement or analysis of Hamas and their role and and if you are only engaged on on proving that Israel's 100% right um, you only talk about Hamas and and their role yeah yeah, and so it's it's challenging because the information you use in many ways is the best window into your own perspective and your own position. And one of the challenging things is to be able to look at a situation and not have the conclusion at the beginning, right? Because if you have your conclusion at the beginning, all the information that you process is filtered in or out based on bias. One thing that I found really interesting, and and not to just throw people under the bus mm-hmm. by any means, or like openly critique people, because I think if I meet people, like I say I hate the Lakers, but if LeBron James was in here and he was like, oh man, I just want to be on battery, I'd be like, yes sir, yep, thank you so I love you, LeBron. <laughs> You're the best. I love you. I would find <laughs> You're that the greatest athlete in the world. <laughs> I would dig some stuff out. I'd be like, LeBron, I've just, you mean, I've always, like, I've always thought about you as the greatest athlete of all time. I... I would cower in that moment. <laughs> and which I think is important to note that it's fun to, to love teams that hate teams, yes. to love players that hate players. But but the moment they're off the court, those people are human beings and uh, you have to relate to those people not as the character they play on the court, yeah. but the person they are in real life. Absolutely. I, I Okay, so here's here's my thing. So I... We live in LA. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of the like the celebrity, the influencer. That's like a, you, whether you're following them or not following them, mm-hmm. you see a lot of it because people repost the things that other people are posting. I have friends on both sides. I have friends who are are who are Jewish, and I have friends who are Muslim. And you have, and we have people that are Palestinian. Palestinian, yes. Yeah. And we have people who are part of Mosaic and people mm-hmm. who aren't. Yeah. And it's really who are part of both, which is really incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was talking to someone this weekend. She listens to Battle Ready. She's becoming a friend, and 
she was obviously deeply emotional about what's going on over there. She's um, she's uh, Lebanese and they live in LA now and they, they live down the street. They come, they've been coming to Mosaic um, and they've listened to us a lot during during the pandemic, which is like really cool uh, that, that, <laughs> that they're actually like super open to, to kind of hearing um, but what we what were talking about, but we were talking and I was like, look, we one, she sends me really great videos because I asked her to and, and, and she's like, we opened a really great dialogue. She's something really like a really positive text about our last podcast being like, thank you for talking about both sides. Mm. And I am seeing more of that now being like whether I'm like I have a friend who's also really great, great person who is Jewish and her and her boyfriend are my friends. And she was talking about she's like, I'm Jewish, but I also have friends who are Muslim. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm talking about it from the perspective of people need to stop blowing each other up. People need, like right. she's having more of an open minded conversation but also going like this isn't okay and this isn't okay and we got to call it what it is and, and we got to make some changes but one thing that i was talking about was like celebrities on either side seemed very skewed like a lot of the infographics yeah. and the posts on instagram and the stories they were really 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 asymmetrical mm -hmm. to one side yeah it was palestine has never done anything wrong they've land is stolen from them and the jewish people are trying to kill us and murder us and they are the actual terrorists and it seemed like for a moment popular opinion was leaning very 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 it has very, very much moved in that direction and almost anti-semitic in a way it, it's odd it doesn't become anti-semitic when you're dealing with the nation of israel Explain but but it's but it's desc it's described as anti-semitic if 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 it's um acts of violence against jewish people in other countries right but for some reason it isn't really described as anti-semitic if you're if you are anti-Israel as a nation. Right. I, I'm not saying that makes any sense to me. I'm just saying that that's my observation. And that seems to be the posture of a lot of people, yeah. especially in, in like the major cities on the coast. Right. So the Hadid's posted something, Bella and Gigi, yeah. models, influencers, whatever. They're local mm -hmm. LA people. They're posting stuff pro-Palestine. Yeah. Look, I get backing... But it wasn't just pro-Palestine. It was like, it, it was, was- It was definitely anti-Semitic. Definitely anti-Semitic, definitely anti-Israel, yeah. Israel terrorists. Jews are trying to hunt Palestinians, trying to kill everybody. It was pretty heavy stuff, but it was, it was uh, like um, branded with like a, like a sugary coating, like beautiful branding, beautiful infographic, like very clean. And I was like, this is so interesting. This is brainwashy stuff, crazy stuff. So I said to my friend, I was like, look, if you're reposting the Hadiths, and not that she was, I don't think she was, but I found it through somebody else. If you're reposting these people, these people are social influencers. Not that they don't, don't, don't get to have like their opinion, but whenever you claim that one side is completely and unanimously right and perfect, you know you can't trust that opinion. Right. Because this has been a problem for thousands of years. Both parties are at fault to some degree. And not in every situation, but I think in the overall like destruction of each other, they have a part to play and they've played a role in each other's destruction. Yeah, and I, I don't even know the psychological effect. I've read this multiple times. I'm not sure if the numbers are right. Like I read that over 3,000 missiles were sent from Hamas to Israel. Okay. To bomb Israel. Right. When I read 3,000, that seems to be an impossible number. I don't know if you can, you guys can fact check that. I think it was 1,000 in just the night we were looking with like the, the, the famous photo, the infamous photo yeah. where the, the Israeli Iron Dome are firing, firing like uh, well, protection and, missiles right. over. So the Iron Dome has the ability to neutralize those missiles before they hit the ground. And I right. think they said that 90% of those missiles were diffused. Yeah. Um, and, and so if Israel didn't have a defense system, can you imagine the massive death toll that would have taken place on the Israeli side? And, and and so sometimes what's being measured is, oh, look what one side's, what Israel's doing because of the impact and effect of it. And oh my gosh, the, the films of the children and families that were killed in the Palestinian side uh, just break my heart and they're horrific. And, right. And, but I would, but, I'm talking about misinformation. Yeah. How to, how to know who to believe. Yeah, no, I'm just saying it's like, there's so much information. And if you're leaving out information because your your argument doesn't hold up if you bring in all the information. You're not, I think, being um, you're not having journalistic integrity. And, yes. And I, and of course, people well, on Instagram and people who are influencers are not, not journalists, right? But they but they're speaking as if they're journalists, and so that's one of the challenges. And for me and for us on Battle Ready, I, I genuinely have not tried to take a side. I'm just 
trying to create empathy, awareness, and a conversation yeah, where I, both sides can actually have mutual respect. And, and uh, I got an email this yeah. last week from a woman who, who I think she was in Colorado, and she was saying, I really love the podcast. I'm really grateful, mm -hmm. even though you guys contradict yourselves a lot. And I responded with, thank you so much for sending this message and taking the time out to, to, to email me. But yeah. we, we, it's not a contradiction. We leave room to change our minds, to ask questions about both sides, to, to look at it from different perspectives, and to adjust. Yeah. That doesn't make me a hypocrite. It, it makes me someone who's growing and evolving and changing. And, and, I, and I responded kindly. Yeah. But I was just <laughs> like, you, you're just used to the... I don't know what I'm saying this person is, but I think a lot of people are used to the hard-lined, alt-left, alt-right. Yeah, if you're not dogmatic, you contradict yourself. Yes, and, <laughs> yes. and, and I'm going, look, Israel I, can do something wrong on Tuesday, which yeah. doesn't mean that Palestine can't do something wrong on Wednesday. 100%. And, uh, you, you have to be able to look at things and and be honest and objective, as, as, as objective as you can be and say... Um, just because you're pro-Israel doesn't mean everything Israel does is right and everything Palestine does is wrong. Just right. because you're pro-Palestine doesn't mean everything Hamas does is just or right, right and that everything Israel does is wrong. Right. You, 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 you have to elevate your thinking beyond such dogmatic frameworks. So, when you, so, so back to the misinformation, when you look at like Abella Hadid's post about this, like, this really mm -hmm. like, clean branded infographic on how Basically, Israel is evil, Jews are evil, Palestine is perfect. And I'm going, man, if you don't admit to any wrong at all, you don't own any issues that you guys as a nation or as a people group have made mistakes, then you are no, you're no better than the other side saying that you're evil. Well, and you're certainly not contributing to a future peace. Not at all. And yeah. that I think is the thing that is like really eye-opening because... Someone sent me a video. I didn't want to send it to you on Monday because I didn't want you to wake up to it. Mm -hmm. But at my favorite sushi spot on La, on La Cienega, down the mm -hmm. street from us, there was there was a video, and there's Palestinians driving around in, in jeeps, waving Palestinian flags and whatever, do your thing, full like traditional garb, and then they get out of the cars and they start attacking these Jewish guys. And one of the Jewish guys picks up like a big pole and swings it at the eight dudes coming at him. And I'm like, I don't know the whole story, but I do know that behavior like this, and this kind of is referring back to the conversation I had with, with my friend again, who came, who came to church, mm -hmm. is that are we embarrassing, are both sides embarrassing the God that they believe in? Are we an embarrassment to God? Yeah, and when you have- this is beyond yeah. which God is right, or which God is real, or who owns the land, you're just now at a place where you're embarrassing yourselves to the thing that you're supposed to go to the world to help to understand. Yeah, to know and those eight guys in. beating up the one Jewish guy, they're not helpful to the Palestinian people at all. No. They're, they're hurting their cause, not helping it. And in the same way that if eight Jewish guys went up to, went a, right. to a Palestinian and beat them up, it, you're, you're actually making the other side's argument better and not your own. And, as, and I said it to my friend, I was like, look, I was like, Every culture has their troublemakers, the people who are going to look for a fight and going to go attack each other. And it seems like the, new, or the news or the social media news or whatever it is, it's like it's always skewed. You're never seeing the full argument on any platform. How do we, how do we know what's real, what's not, how to not be played by our emotions or, our al or the algorithms that are feeding us information? Because that's what it feels like even more than anything else. Yeah, so I want to be clear. If you're a Palestinian, if you're a Palestinian Christian, a Palestinian Muslim, Palestinian atheist or agnostic, you're welcome at Mosaic. We love you. One hundred percent. If you're Jewish, if you're if you're an Orthodox Jew or or progressive Jew or or an athe atheistic Jew, yeah. a secular Jew, uh, you're welcome at Mosaic. Yeah. And um, and we want to create a space where, see, that's the that's the world we have to imagine and work for, where Palestinian and Jews and uh, people of every nation can come together and be family, be community, and uh, treat each other with love and respect. Yeah, it's really tough. So I think it, the the second part to what we, if you haven't listened to the last podcast, listen to it, check out this part afterwards. But essentially on, 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 on last Friday, we talked a lot about what's going on in the world and now it's really hit, it's hit New York City, it's hit Miami, it's hit Chicago, it's hit LA, where people on the street are fighting. And I think it's just, it's just uh, we're in a kind of a scary place with it definitely praying for everyone involved. 
I don't even know how to talk to some of my friends about it, you know? Mm. Um, and I think, and I, and one of our, one of our friends in the group that was talking said, you know, I don't really know how to have an opinion on this because he's like, I feel so far removed. Yeah. And then my friend said, it's, it's very similar to, um, to BLM. And I'm like, no, I think it's even crazier because BLM, I think is a solvable issue because it's, it's, we've been doing this for 300 years in the U S mm-hmm. this is something like 3,000 3, years, years yeah. old. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or at but, least uh, 2,000. And so, yeah. yeah, at least 2,000. And, and so it's like, it becomes, I'm like, can you solve a problem that's lasted forever? Yeah, and that is rooted in multiple layers of complexity from, uh, ter- you know, from territory, disputed territory to disputed holy land to, to disputed religious beliefs to... Um, disputed. Um, Can I ask you a question? Um, abuse and violence. Yeah. Can you solve a problem that's lasted for thousands of years? Yes, you can. How? Not easily. How? I think that well, first of all, what you have to um, recognize is that usually what you're fighting about are not the real problems. Okay. That there are fundamental problems that have to be solved, and they can only be solved if the value, rights, and dignity of the other side are held at 100%. So I'm going to ask you again. Can you solve a problem that's lasted for thousands of years? And My how? answer again is yes. How? You have to care about the other side's win as much as your own. Mm. And that's the stand. That's the standoff, is that both sides are, are, are win-lose. Yeah. Or lose-lose. They'd rather both lose than to have the other side win. It's... And should should either one win? Yes, because there are innocent civilians everywhere who are suffering because governments, politicians, military leaders, ideologists, uh, dogmatic uh, authoritarian uh, leaders can't resolve their issues. I, I have a question. As like a taxpayer in in in, in the U.S. and and I I I have paid taxes. I'm paying taxes right now. Mm-hmm. And um, remember, the more taxes you pay, it means the more money you made. Yeah, I'm grateful. I'm blessed. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I just. I. This is. I have two bones to pick with with the university system in in the U.S. They don't teach you taxes unless you're going to become an accountant. That, you should learn that in high school. They don't. They should. They should. You should learn it in high school. A hundred percent. Yeah. You should go from middle school to high school to yeah. college. Tax one, tax two, tax yep. three. Tenth grade. I've paid more taxes than I've learned about taxes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if I can, uh, if you're listening right now and you're a parent. Yes. Let me tell you what you need to do if you have a kid that's under 18. Yeah, what? You need to go to the bank right now, open up an account in their name, get them a credit card, put $1,000 in that account, and start spending... Or $100 if you can't do $1,000. Yeah, $100. $100, it doesn't matter. but And then start spending money on that credit card every month and paying it off on time. By the time your child is 18 or 21, they will have the credit rating to be able to buy a house or uh, buy a car or get an actual loan that they yeah, need. Yeah, get yeah. the loan they need. And so start now. If your kid is 10 years old, it's not too soon. Right. And uh, and some of you are listening in your, your 20s. Pay your phone bill off with, your, with that yeah. credit card. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the most important things to learn before you're out of high school is how to do your taxes how to how to have the highest credit rating possible how to, yeah, and, how to and how to manage your money. So here's my thing. Yeah. I pay taxes. I hate, I hate, I hate so much that we fund any country, not Israel. Israel's just an interesting thing because it's bringing up the point. I hate that we're providing weapons, missiles, military around the world. It bothers me. I don't hate the military. I, I really respect the military, but I don't like the actual function of missiles and bullets and guns and tanks and things that we're obviously giving other countries massive amounts of. Yeah, it becomes an issue. It seems like across the world we pick smaller countries to have big wars because sometimes you wonder, is it is it really those countries fighting or is it the United States and Russia fighting or the United States and China fighting or, right. or Great Britain and, um, you know, the Eastern Bloc, right? It's like... A lot of times it seems like smaller countries become the territory from which larger nations are having their wars. Yes. And we need to ask big questions about the ethics, the morality, and and how to change that aspect of um, 
of the kind of the global dynamic of war. And and that brings me to this, because this, I don't want you to, I, I, it isn't me being anti-Israel at all. It's just me going, as a taxpayer, I go, I really don't want to fund wars. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the necessity of protection and and having a military. And, and, and I know that America, the U.S. does a lot of good. It also does a lot of bad. This is a situation that our next topic, because the U.S. has been his, notoriously involved in Central and South America's politics. Yes. Since probably the 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. You were born in 58. Mm-hmm. You immigrated to the U.S. when kind of not by choice because mm-hmm. you were going back and forth. You'd go back to Salvador, spend summers, spend time with your mom, spend time with your grandparents. Yes. And then when the wars broke out in El Salvador, you couldn't go back to your grandparents anymore. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I grew up seeing American engagement and involvement in foreign policy from a different perspective because I'm an immigrant. Right. And um, anybody who knows me knows I love this country. I'm incredibly grateful to live here. Yeah, I, I think and, that's... Yeah, we both do. We, yeah. we talk about it all the time. We're like, this is, this is, we live in a great country. Yeah. And We're grateful. Like, I can live anywhere in the world pretty much that I want, and I want to live here. Yes, that's yeah. <laughs> So let me be really, really clear about that. Yeah, we're and, just talking about the betterment and maybe some of the, we but, like ha- my ask nation, some questions. Uh, yeah, I'm a dual citizen, yeah, citizen of this country, citizen of El Salvador. It's El Salvador was where I was born. It's my, my first citizenship. And we had like this one day war, I think it was against Honduras. I mean, yeah, Honduras. And um, and I remember specifically hearing the United States doesn't get involved in regional domestic, uh, regional conflicts, you know. And um, and so when Honduras attacked El Salvador, the United States did not get involved. When El Salvador won the war in one day and, uh, and took over Honduras, the United States got involved. And Didn't they take over part of Guatemala as well? I don't remember the details. Okay. It's been so long. Yeah. And, um, but I just remember as a kid paying attention to this going, oh, um, the United States only gets involved if it's economically beneficial to them. What were they growing in Honduras? Uh, you know, we had companies there like Chiquita Banana. You know, in Honduras, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and just not as much in El Salvador. And, right. And, and, and you know, I'm, I, I'm sure I am naive to all the political, economic nuances of those kind of relationships. I'm just saying that as an outsider, it doesn't look as clean as it does when you live here in the States. You know, when you were living in another country, you're, you're, there are times I think, by the way, El Salvador actually applied to become a state of the United States of America. Did it? Yeah, and uh, we were turned down. So, you know, we, we did not get the rose. <laughs> no, we did not get the rose. <laughs> and, uh, we wanted to be the bachelorette, and we did not get the rose. And, and think about the, the problems that would have been solved if the United States had allowed El Salvador to become a state. And uh, frankly, I think Latin America would have been transformed in a positive way. Uh, because whether we like it or not, with all the negative sides of the United States, it's actually usually a really good thing when um, this kind of government now shapes the future of a people. And yeah, because there's so many there's so many benefits to being connected to the U.S. in that regard. I mean, just yeah. the way we do government, as flawed as it is, is still the probably one of the best systems in the world. Yeah. So I wish El Salvador so, had become know, a part of the United States. I wouldn't have had we to apply for citizenship and live on the green card for 40 years of my life. Yeah. But um, well, we watched. Oh, sorry. Go. No, no, uh, no. Go ahead, please. I was saying because we watched a really great article from. Do you want to introduce the subject we're about to talk about? Yeah. I, well, I was really angry. By an article, yes. so so from the U.S. Times. medals and things. Sometimes it shouldn't meddle in. It yeah. Definitely got involved in the Salvador, and then the L.A. Times releases an article. Yeah, on last Bukele, week, the new president of El Salvador, a and, young guy. Oh, he's so young. He's in his thirties. He's super like hip, or uh, or we, as we would say, yeah. he's super cool. <laughs> he's super cool. He's often <laughs> photographed with his like presidential hat. He's, with he's got a backwards. cap on backwards. You know, he wears. Blue jeans and tennis shoes and, he, he and does, t-shirts. He and, does like political. He does like um, interviews with like YouTubers yeah. and big internet people in Latin America. He's a marketing guy. He is a marketing guy. Yeah, and his wife is amazing. She's elegant. She was a ballerina. Yeah, uh, you know they're they're beautiful parents. I think they have a little girl. She's beautiful, and they they are they are El Salvador's version of John and Jackie Kennedy. It's incredible, and it it's it's. 
it's um, a love affair with a leader that El Salvador's never really had. Never had. And then I see the LA Times and their title of their article is El Salvador's millennial president is a man with one vision, power. And when you talk about Max Kellerman being trash, you know, because of what he said, yes. I, I was so angry thinking I stopped ordering the LA Times years ago because I felt it was trash. Yeah. And I, I ordered it for years because I believe in all things Los Angeles. Right. But I'm like, this, this, this would make the National Enquirer proud. And, and I, I, you, you can't say you have objective journalism or an objective article in World and Nation when you're basically saying this man has one objective power. How did you come to that conclusion, by the way, LA Times? Well, so, how, wait, how, but let's list, let go. You want to rant. You want to rant. Go, no, go, no, 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 I don't want to stop ahead. it. You were about to go. No, 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 we'll get there. Here's the thing. Let's talk about the things that could be misconstrued that he's done. Because what he has done, it's, it's, he's... Well, some people listening don't even know about him, you know. And, right. And I do think there's an interesting uh, transition because we've been talking about Palestine. And I want to read just one section that just gives us a little bit of his From own... From the LA Times. Yeah, it says, it says uh, Naib's, um, speaking of his father, he worked at a public relations firm owned by his father, Armando Bukele a successful businessman born to Palestinian Christian immigrants to El Salvador. So Bukele is actually, um, in his, in his um, ancestry, a Palestinian Christian. But then he goes on to say, Armando Bukele's politics were clear. A convert to Islam who founded El Salvador's first mosque. He was a supporter of the Palestinian independence movement and sympathetic to the leftist guerrillas fighting U.S.-backed armed forces during El Salvador's war. His public relations firm later ran campaigns for the uh, Farabundo Marti National Liberation Front, the political party that sprang from remnants of, guerrilla, of the guerrilla movement. So I'm sitting here talking about a president whose family comes from the leftist perspective. They were a part of the leftist, more socialist, guerrilla-supporting party. That would not be the party that I would support. I would support a democratic party and um, not a socialist party. Right. Not the guerrilla party, but I wouldn't support the dictatorships that existed uh, in the past. And so it's interesting that Naib comes from this left side, but he now is being criticized for... Um, quote, wanting to create a dictatorship. But, he, but, that, but socialism would often have a dictator at the helm. Oh, well, yes, that's the, is the way so, socialism so takes over So what they're saying countries. is that what his behavior is now aligned with his, his, his pedigree. Well, but it's also because he's not actually advancing socialist ideology which you think is the actual subversive messaging in this. The LA Times. Because the LA Times would be more backing of socialist movements. Well, I just think that they're more... Uh, yes or no? They're, yes, they're more, they're more quick to criticize Naive than they would be Venezuela. Very interesting, which yeah. is an actual socialist movement. And you, you don't hear a lot of criticism about Cuba, you, you know? And, and, and so I, I, I think this is kind of interesting to me because he's only been president a couple of years. Yeah, one year, nine months. In El Salvador, Maybe 11 you, you, you get to be president for five years. And that's it. And then you don't get to run again until someone else is president, and then you get to run again. So five years on, five years off. Yeah, and and so the, the structure of Salvadorian politics has been set in such a way where hopefully dictatorships will not emerge again. And I have said in the past, the problem with Latin America is we have two forms of government, revolution and dictatorship. And that the revolutionaries become the dictators, and then the dictators uh, get overthrown by the new revolutionaries, and then they become the dictators. And that's the history of, of Latin America. That's the history of my people. And I'm hoping for the first time we can actually see something different. And, and so several things came to my mind. One is he has a 90% approval rating. Which is unheard of in politics. Right. And they use that as proof that he's a dictator. And I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you have 90% approval rating, you don't have to be a dictator. Well, you can they, actually be an elected official. Well, are they questioning the validity of the poll? No. Or are they questioning the... Uh, I, it doesn't make sense because if the people are actually voting that 90% of 
that people are saying he's great. I think it's the elitism of of American um, liberalism that says other countries can't think for themselves. 100%. That um, my people are not smart enough to know how to know if a president's doing a good job. Yeah. And um, I, I actually think that sometimes we hold, well, no, often we hold other nations to a different criteria that, from which we hold ourselves. So I'm sitting there going, okay, wait a minute, he has a 90% approval rating. Our last president couldn't even hit 50%. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so I'm going, all right. Well, what, was, uh, what was President Obama's highest? Yeah, find out what, because Obama's so popular. So let's, so popular. What, what, what would be his highest approval rating? And um, yeah. I mean, Bush, I think, had the highest approval rating Post in modern it. time after 9 11. And right. then, of course, it dropped and tanked. Obama's highest approval rating was 68%. 68. That is extraordinary. Wow. And it doesn't even touch that's Naive's a, that's a D. 90%. That's, that's a C minus. It's a D. Yeah. So the best we get is a D. And, Crazy. and the Salvadoran president in less than two years has an A. Now, when you have an A, you cannot write an article that has any credibility saying he wants one thing, power, and that he's trying to establish a dictatorship and he's destroying the country. So can we talk about the, the reason why he did one thing that <laughs> he did a few things. He did a few things that were that would make a democratic system uncomfortable. Can we say that? Because I want to get into the things that he has done that are, yeah. I think, far more remarkable. Yes, he has definitely used um, military influence to let people know that um, certain choices need to be made. Right. And I know that that's hard for Americans to understand, except you're coming out of a system of such immense corruption that corruption and politics, I know this is hard for Americans to understand, but in El Salvador, corruption and politics are inseparable. Right. Oh, I, I think that may be true here. That may be true here. We just lie to <laughs> ourselves about it. And, and, and so there's several things here. One, you know, when the Khmer Rouge re regime came into Cambodia, one of the first things they did is they killed everyone who was educated. The, the communist socialist went and killed all the educated class. They, they actually killed people who wore glasses because they thought people who wore glasses were the readers and were most likely educated. That's insane. That's like ethnic cleansing stuff. That's it was like, horrible. It's that, that's where you have the killing fields and the a mass, massive massacre. The, the, the mass graves. Yeah. And, and one of the things you can know across the world is whenever communism or socialism takes over, uh, the educated um, are vulnerable and usually... Um, Which is very interesting because socialism yeah. is bred and duplicated under the guise of intelligence and the intellectuals mm -hmm. right the we're the highest educated socialism makes sense it is the it is the end all it is the achievement of government and social and economic power and influence merging together right. the power of the people and it is ironic that or not ironic but very a dark reality that when socialism comes like the death of actually th free thinking right and if you if your only vision is power what you do not want to do is educate the people Interesting. So one of the things that uh, Bukele did is that he used government money to provide laptop computers to every, I think, senior in high school. And he's, no, and, I think it was high school students. Every high school student and yeah. is actually in the process of making sure every child in the country has a laptop. Yeah. So he's, so he's, so we were reading about it yeah. right before here. So he made a commitment to provide the youth with education tools. So he gets all high school students laptops and said they need it the most because they're the, the they are the they are the um the they will be in the workforce the soonest. Right. And so, so if you're trying to establish a power center where you are the authoritarian um, leader. You don't educate. You don't educate the people. Right. That that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to educate the masses. So clearly he's using his power. And by the way, every world leader wants power. Joe Biden wants power. Donald Trump wanted power. Barack Obama wanted power. George Bush wanted power. I can go back to every president. And you become president because you want to use power. The question is not whether presidents want power. The question is what do presidents want to do with that power? Yeah. 
and I don't want to get into what each president did, but I want to say this. So he provides high school students with computers. He's now on a, on a progressive mission to essentially get all people, un, all of the young people under, I think, fourth grade with tablets because he said tablets are easier for, for young people to use, for children to use. That's right. And one of the ways you and pull people out of poverty is education. He also goes in and goes, these weren't donated. They weren't given. He goes, we bought them with tax dollars. We are educating the people with people's finances. And so he- What an amazing thing to do as a government. Amazing thing to do as a government. We are so privileged that, that we actually go to schools that have computers, that have Macs, that have Microsoft driven computers. Like the, the fact that we have this readily available in, 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 in a lot of our schools is, is incredible. Yeah, and, and during quarantine, I read that in New York, one of the problems with homeschooling or um, online schooling- They couldn't schooling afford tablets. There are there thousands of kids that couldn't afford tablets. In, in our progressive, advanced country, yeah. kids in New York- One of the wealthiest cities. Didn't have the technology to go to school during the quarantine. It's insane. And so you have the small country of six and, you know, and a half million people and the president's trying to provide the technology for the next generation to be free of the oppressive nature of poverty and illiteracy. So they don't mention that in the LA Times article, which I find is very interesting. Well, they, they certainly don't make that a, a center point of what he's trying to do because it doesn't match the title, that his vision is power. Right. Maybe his vision is empowerment, and he knows you have to, you have to reclaim the power to give the power uh, back to the people. So I can't believe I'm advocating for for Tucker Carlson, but I, we watched. We were doing. We we're kind of deep diving on some interviews with with um, with the president of Salvador. I can never say his name. Naib Bukele. Yeah, very good. So he doesn't interview. Sit down with Tucker Carlson. He doesn't answer a single one of Tucker Carlson's <laughs> questions. He kind of talks essentially about what his agenda is with being the president of El Salvador. I thought that was really interesting. And I thought it was yeah. cool that Tucker Carlson actually sat down with him. I think it was earlier this year or late last year. Yeah. And they talked through essentially how the, 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 it was one of the murder capitas of Latin America. Well, I mean, El, San Salvador has had the highest murder rate in the world. Right. And when you look at El Only Salvador- Only trailed by Nicaragua and Honduras, yeah, which it, are the neighboring countries. So three of the most deadly, highest murder capitals right. in the world are grouped together. So I think two years ago, we had 103 murders for every 100,000 people. And then I think a year later, uh, with um, Naib, it went to 50 murders for every 100,000 people. Now it's at 20 murders for every 100,000 people. And they had their first day with a, with zero murders in the history, like I think in the modern history modern of the history country. Modern history of Salvador. That's right? like 60 years or yeah. something like that. And I think there was eight days without a murder. I know that doesn't sound like a lot if you're listening here, but uh, frankly, I don't think that happens in the United States at all. That doesn't happen. That does not happen in the South Side of Chicago or in, in South Los Angeles. You have to remember, this is the epicenter of MS-13. This is the epicenter of some of those violent, most notorious gangs in the world. So he does a huge thing where he he reforms the prison system in the way that it functions so that there isn't this, like, essentially, like, mafia being run from the prisons. Right. Solves he, that problem. Reduces murder by 70%. In the country, seventy percent. And then what? What I loved what he said on Tucker Carlson was he breaks it down. He goes, "Look, I understand why everyone was leaving because they're talking about illegal immigration." Right. So Tucker's trying to get him to advocate for illegal immigration. And what I loved about yeah, it, yeah Tucker's <laughs> really wanting to press an agenda of we don't yeah. want illegal immigrants well, here. And <laughs> what I loved about Naive Bukele was that he goes, "Yeah, it makes sense why everyone wanted to leave. It was horrible if you stayed. You yeah. would be murdered, or you would be in a situation where someone that you love would be murdered. So of course you'd want to leave to go to a country where even at the risk of death." You'd want to leave and go and send money back to the family that couldn't get it out. Yeah, he said that basically our economic system in El Salvador is we we sneak into the United States and work our butts off and then send money back home. Yeah, and he goes, that's not a yeah. good economic strategy for either country. Right. He goes, and most definitely not El Salvador. He goes, we keep, he says, what I'm doing now is making the country as safe as possible so people don't want to leave. They can stay, they can build businesses, they can grow the economy, and they don't, their parents, the families don't have to leave. Families can come back and actually live in a successful economic environment. Right, he said the two things he has, um, he's committed to is security and economy. Yes. He said, if we're going to keep our people, if we're going to stop the migration of our intellectual property and our future generations leaving El Salvador, we need security, we need economy, but you cannot have a vibrant economy until you have uh, legitimate security. Yes. If people are being killed everywhere and robbed everywhere, you're not going to have a thriving, vibrant economic um, system. And I think two things come off, come to yeah. mind right here. One, we live, this is so polarizing. Yeah. 
that we, and, and I think it's such a huge contrast to our reality. Most people in the U.S. do not live in a reality where they're in danger every day of their life. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in some of our most impoverished inner city situations, there is so much happening that we don't know, that we don't hear, that we don't aren't experiencing firsthand. I know in LA, it's 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 become more widespread, even in places where, you know, you would have been safe over the last 15 years of now. There's murders, there's situations, there's gunmen, there's X, Y, Z. But we don't live in a reality as Americans where you are potentially could die on your way to work. Most Americans right. don't live that reality, right? Um, the second thing is that the fact that a country is being, he comes from, the, the, his party is the party of ideas. Yes, right? new ideas, yeah. The, the party of new ideas, his political party that they're saying is a dictatorship trying to take over the country. So if the thing, if the, the party that takes over the country is the party of new ideas, I don't think that's a bad thing. And the question I asked you was, is it dictatorship if the people don't want them to leave? And I think that's what the U.S. is worried about, right? Yeah, and I, I really want to press in on that uh, because- right. Um, I was trying to think about LA Times calling Naib a dictator after not even two years. Right. But we didn't call FDR a dictator when he was elected four times and, and didn't leave and was in the White House for 14 years. And yeah, he had to die to leave office. And then he made sure that he closed it, the door behind him and not let and wouldn't let anyone else run for more than two terms. Right. So he knew that was inherently wrong, but he did it four times. Yeah, it's interesting. And what we don't call FDR a, a dictator, and we don't actually write our history saying um, after um, or during this season of American history, America was taken over by a dictator. See, if you use the same criteria for Naib and uh, Bukele, then you need to write the history that FDR was was, uh, was a dictator. Right. And then people are saying, well, Donald Trump was trying to create a dictatorship. The, the, the essential reality is that the Republican Party is, uh, by population, way smaller than the Democratic Party. Right. And so the only party that could actually create a dictatorship in is America the- is the Democratic Party. And what's well, interesting so? to me, um, because you have to have certain conditions for it. And so even um, the conversations about expanding the Supreme Court so that the Supreme Court would become completely democratic, that's yeah. a part of a nuanced strategy to create a political party dictatorship. And how come the LA Times isn't writing about that? And and, and so I'm looking and going, uh, we've had three elections in my lifetime that have been questioned in the United States, the um, Bush-Gore election, uh, the Clinton-Trump election, and the um, uh, Trump-Biden election. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and you know, when, when Bush won in Florida, our, our democracy was really fragile. Yeah. And... Um, we're supposed to be the ideal democracy in the world, and yet our election was really unclear at that time. And then when Trump was elected, um, you know, Democrats said that you know the Russians actually colluded and um, and manipulated our election, and so Trump actually didn't win. And there was never a moment where it was acknowledged that he actually won. It was always a question of whether he was actually, actually our elected president. Yeah. And then Trump, you know, which I don't think has any root in, in reality, but says, well, then the election was stolen from him. And I'm going, we we need to pay attention to our democracy <laughs> and, yes. uh, rather than writing LA Times articles about um, El Salvador's democracy. And, and then I, I looked at this section of the article and I thought this was interesting. This is an interesting highlight. El Salvador's president accused of using coronavirus to bolster autocratic agenda. And it explains that he imposed, I think it was a six-week lockdown, a quarantine, uh, to try to um, intervene on the spread of coronavirus across the nation. I'm going, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, wherever you follow this thing, like Trump did not want a quarantine, <laughs> right? yeah. you know, but the CDC did, and and you know, Dr. Fauci. Did, and so we end up with almost a, a, a year in quarantine. For, for more than a year, we've not been allowed to do things that free people are allowed to do. And, uh, and, and even with Biden, you know, I, I'm, we're still not allowed to do things that free people are allowed to do. 
and and California and LA. Oh my gosh, between Newsom and Garcetti. Yeah. Like why hasn't the LA Times written about the dictatorship of California with Newsom and Garcetti? Yeah, that's very interesting. Why why haven't we talked about the the you know the uh, the dictatorship of of using executive order to tell us what to do rather than recommend mandating and making illegal things that we did not vote for as as American citizens. In the last 18 months, we've been told to do things that we never got to vote on. It seems to me that we're the ones that are on the fringe of losing our democracy. And yet, um, Bukele actually calls for national quarantine, and that's used as evidence that he's bolstering his autocratic agenda. And I'm just, maybe it's me, maybe it's because I'm a Latin America, but it seems to me that there's more going on here than meets the eye. And I just like to ask the LA Times, how many people from El Salvador did you actually interview to get perspective on what's happening in our country? How, how, many, uh, how many people did you actually talk to about what's happening in our country? Because you haven't had to deal with decades of violence. You haven't had to deal with the aftermath of a war that left our children with no skill except the ability to kill each other. You don't understand that nine and 10 year olds were given machine guns, 11 and 12 year olds were trained by guerrillas to be killers. And when the war code is over, they had no profession. The, the only occupation they have is to create MS-13 and to become professional killers. And so here, here's the thing, how do we offer a solution and how do we provide some takeaways? I'm a little- You're heated. I'm upset. We're about to hit the one hour mark. And if you've made it this far, we're really grateful because we very rarely does my dad get like this. And I think it's very good that you are because I think it shows that you're passionate. You've often said that you that you wish that the only the only downside of being an, an immigrant is that you can't run for president of the United States. Then I said, well, you could run for governor. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you probably you could probably run for the president of El Salvador for sure. Have you ever thought about that? I thought about it for many, many years. Yeah. And because uh, uh, as much as I love my country, the United States, I also love my country, El Salvador. Right. And uh, uh, the, our history is tragic. Our potential is unlimited. Mm -hmm. It's maybe the most beautiful country in the world. Okay. And um, a, a stunning topography, the geography, the, the nations, the people are beautiful people and um, hard workers, intelligent, uh, driven. Have you ever thought about it? I have thought about it and- Would you ever uh, do it? Well, they have Naib Bukele and I think that he, um, I, I hope he proves everyone wrong in the LA Times. I think um, he is already. I think he's doing what I I'm a huge wanted fan. to do. And now I'm feeling like maybe I should run for governor of California because I think California is in greater danger of losing its democracy than El Salvador. Yeah, have you seen who's running for governor of California? And you can post that Yikes. on the internet. You can post that on the internet too. Google that. That's that's getting bizarre. The moment we have the Terminator and reality TV stars running for politics, we are in an in political positions. We are in an interesting place. I have so much more to learn about this issue. I um. I I just think it was an irresponsible article by the L.A. Times. Yeah, Kate Kate Lithicum, go to El Salvador before you write about it. And um and maybe you know interview. Naib uh, Bukele and let him share his perspective in an article that's so one-sided. Yeah. Because um, power is not a vision. Power is a means to fulfill a vision. As a journalist, you didn't even take time to figure out what the vision was. And uh, I just expect better from American journalism. I don't. I know who they are and what they do. And American journalism is now, it is now, what is it? Like, it is the MySpace. Like, our kids won't read the LA Times because they will see it as the same garbage as TMZ and Vanity Fair. Not in its entirety, there's still goodness in it, mm -hmm. but the reality is that where do we get valid information, right? Because a lot of it is things like even us, we're talking about people talking about something that's actually happening. Yeah. So I like, I, I wanna plug something and I also wanna go back and, and, and do some stuff for the beginning, but I wanna plug this, you were working on a series thegeniusof.com. Yes. A new book is coming out. Yes. We haven't named the name, but you are working on a new book and that's connected to it. So go to thegeniusof.com, enter your information. It's just an email, just keeping updated. But we're going to start launching projects with my dad, Earl Raphael McManus, sitting down, hopefully, 
with some of the most interesting minds and voices and geniuses of their time, I would love to sit down with someone like Naib Bukele. Naib Bukele, will you come on my documentary series, The Genius Of? We've got to, if you know him, if you know someone who knows him, if you know someone who knows him, who knows him, let's do it. But go to thegeniusof.com. The website is live. It's just uh, an email subscription. The stuff is coming soon. Your, bu- your book launches September 14th. It does. I'm so excited. And so now, from now until then, we're going to talk about it a lot. And we'll do a public announcement very, very soon. Very, very soon. Okay. Love you guys. Thank you for supporting. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Go to it. Rate and review it. Do it now. Five stars. Leave a comment. This has been a fun conversation. Been a fun conversation. Thank you, bud. Love you. Love you too. Bye.